the top players and legends to the very best analysts around the world from wherever the beautiful game is played. This is BTP. Now, we're talking football. Yes, hello folks, welcome to Weekly Match Center Show. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown. Join my regular co-host here, Comic Fighting. Late one this week, we're out Wednesday. Normally you try to get the show out on Monday. But uh, I was off for my kids' spring break camp. I was away in a lovely place called Palm Springs. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it was great to get a wee break. Um, have you been doing, mate? I've been doing well. Um, the barbers opened over here, so it was like Christmas Day this morning when I got to go, but you're talking about Palm Springs and it was snowing here, would you believe, wow. on Monday, so uh, how the other half lived, Phil, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, the, the barbers opened me, it doesn't matter, look at your face, rearranging deck chairs and Titanic getting your hair cut, kid. <laughs> I'm, <joking. laughs> I'm only joking, I'm only joking, I'm only joking. Uh, I bet you look dapper, your hands on my man, Daddy, not that you need to worry with that. Gorgeous fiance, you do have a lucky man, I'm telling you, boy. Um, must be that Scottish accent she's falling for, even though she's a Scot herself. Um, are you ready to go, Ken? So much to get through. Uh, I was talking about today's result of the weekend. Uh, we've got your questions, which we appreciate. We'll try to make sure we're working them into each and every show. Appreciate you, the, uh, the uh, listener feedback, and lots of other United news that I want to talk about. Of course, coming up against Granada <coughs> in, uh, tomorrow, of course. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Probably by the time most people listen to this, we've already played Granada. But nonetheless, come <coughs> start of the weekend, mate. Uh, give me your thoughts on that. It was a very strange um, first half performance, to be honest with you. I felt that United were able to keep the ball in the first ten minutes or so without without doing really an awful lot with it. Um, the Welbeck goal, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, worried me because how many times have we come across United starting the game, maybe not with the most intensity, but holding on to the ball, then going behind somewhat through the run of play, and, and you think to yourself, right, I think we're in trouble here. Are we going to get back into this game? You go in um, at half-time, you think to yourself, right, OK, what do we mm-hmm. do now? And to be fair, they, they were patient and and, and luckily it, it paid off. Rashford, I thought, for someone who isn't the most natural finisher, as we've said in the show, I thought he took his goal very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruno Fernandes was influential, of course, in that goal as well. And then Mason Greenwood, you have to be honest and say that the kids had a... A tougher second year for for United. The, the break the breakthrough year was was nothing short of incredible. This year's mm-hmm. been a little tougher for him, but he, he's popped up with a few goals in the, in the last couple of weeks, and maybe he'll go on a little run of form between now and the end of the season. And 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 with the form of our strikers, could there be an argument that he should be given a few games through the middle? But I, I personally wouldn't be adverse to that for, for the last few weeks of the season. But as I say, it was. It was a game where I felt relief more than anything at the end of it, if I'm being brutally honest, because at times the performance was, was slack and and just left a lot to, to be desired. I, mean, I don't know if it's my microphone or my or my earphones, but your volume's up and down a wee bit, so just might want to uh, take a look at that. Um, but yes, let me talk about that game at the weekend, because there's an old saying, once is an accident, twice is a habit. And... When I see certain consistent trends at United, and I've seen this a lot, where they're dreadful the first half, second half they do just enough to win the game. This is this is not an accident. There's something wrong with how United are starting games. 
and they're always reacting, and they're not forcing the game. Bring, you know, let, let's be honest. Look, Solskjaer made a big call with Dean Henderson. Um, Brighton uh, are a decent team, but when I look at that, we'll, we'll start with Dean Henderson. I get that Brighton thing. When I look at that Dean Henderson thing, I said it le- against Leicester. You're going to get prior to that game. You're going to get a big indication of who Solskjaer sees as his number one based on who he picks in that game. Some people disagree because it was the FA Cup. I understood that. But I don't think we can be in any doubt anymore about who Solskjaer sees as his number one. I think he reached a point. If you go back a month ago, Cal, there was rumours, lots of people talking about Dean Henderson being really upset at not starting enough games. And all of a sudden, he's starting enough games. Solskjaer got the perfect opportunity to play him with the hay, going back to see his kid. And I don't blame him for doing that. Right? Some things are bigger than football. Um, but if De Gea is playing on top of his game, he's put back in the team after he comes back, but he's not. And I don't think David De Gea can have any complaints about not starting games. But herein lies the problem, which this was entirely predictable, that this was going to happen. I mean, I said this a year ago, which, let's be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly, you know, Cynthia Brown here, I'm not exactly a psychic, right? I mean, it was just a simple extrapolation of logic that this is what was going to happen. United had two number ones. Solskjaer said two number ones as well. That's not sustainable. One of those goalkeepers was going to leave at the end of next season based on who number one was. And you have to have a situation where if you're going to get rid of one of these goalkeepers, you can do so. Now you've got a situation where David De Gea is on 300 grand a week. And it, it, there's going to be big question, ask, question marks asked to David De Gea here. Because let's say Dean Henderson finishes the season as number one. The question that's going to be asked of David De Gea is, so what do you want? Do you want to sit on 300 grand a week and be a number two? Or do you want to take a wage cut and be a number one? And if the question, if the answer is the latter, then we'll find out an awful lot about David De Gea and whether he values being a number one and what he thinks of his own game and what he thinks of himself and what is most important to him. I would like to believe De Gea will say, look, I don't care how much money I'm on. It's not enough for me to sit as a number two. Surely he has ambitions at his age. He's still young for a goalkeeper. You know, lots of goalkeepers aren't retiring to 40. You know, you take a look at Buffon and bring, if that's the case, David has another 10 years in him. You know, what, what would he do with Van der Sar? It sounded like he's 32, wasn't he? So, lots of time left for David De Gea to remain a number one. Big decision for him this summer. A saleable asset for United. If they can get him to take a pay cut, which I'm sure he will, I doubt he's going to... Because United can sit and say to the hair, and I think this is one position they could say this to him in and say, we're not subsidising our wages. If you want to stay here as number two, fine. The threat of that should be enough to concern David De Gea to where he's saying, I'll take a wage cut and go somewhere else. Right? That, one way or another, United are going to bring in money for a goalkeeper. I do not see the start of next season both of these goalkeepers being here. I just don't. Um, maybe PSG or someone like that coming from. What do you think will happen with these two? I, I think you're right, Phil, in the sense that in terms of both of them, um, one of them will move on. I think Solskjaer's made the decision, or he appears to have made the decision with Henderson staying in when the Hayes come back. And if I'm being honest, I think that's the wise decision because I think Henderson is a very good Premier League goalkeeper. And Gary Neville made a point over here in, in Monday Night Football is he of sufficient standard to be a long-term Manchester United and England number one? The next year will tell us everything. And I think it's 
it's wise to give him the opportunity because De Gea, I, I think, without being disrespectful, I think I think we've seen the best of De Gea mm-hmm. in a United shirt. Don't get me wrong, I think he's still capable of producing fantastic performances. Um, maybe not at the same regularity that he had been maybe three or four years ago, but I still think he is capable of them. I, I just think when you look at someone like a Dean Henderson, if Dean Henderson was uh, a Leicester or was a, even a West Ham this season, he's the sort of goalkeeper that the top sides would be linked with buying. So I think he's the sort of goalkeeper, given the fact that he's English and that helps the quota, given the fact that he's got Premier League experience under his belt, Sheffield United before, obviously, mm-hmm. now becoming Manchester United's number one. I think you have to give him the opportunity. I said it on the show a few months ago. It's the perfect opportunity for him to take because if he can become United's number one, he probably will be the same for his country. And and deep down, uh, he looks like a determined character. He looks like someone who's got a wee bit of the, the, the football arrogance, that charisma about him. So I think he can handle the pressure, whether he can be as consistent to here, as to here over the, the next few years is the big challenge. But you're right, one of them has to be moved on just when you consider the, the vast amount of money that, that is going out in wages on both of them. And I think you're right. With De Gea, he, he's achieved a lot in his career. He's won trophies with United. He'll he'll be an icon of Manchester United even after he leaves. People will remember him in years to come. I think you have to say to him, look, you're either going to be our number two goalkeeper and considering the history he's had with the club, is that the way he wants to be remembered? If he was to be number two for another three, four, five years? I don't think it is. So I, I agree with you. I think you, you basically say to him, you move on at a reduced wage. We will not be... Um, topping up your wages wherever you go or you remain here as number two and I think to be honest with you with all these achieved at United with the lure of potentially going back to Spain because one of the big clubs over there would be interested in David De Gea I have no doubt about that um, I, I think he's the, the most logical option to leave the club and, and I think he will leave the club this summer crucially though we, we've talked about obviously the not, not topping his wages up etc I think United still have to make sure they get a good transfer fee and don't let him leave on the cheap because I think he is still a goalkeeper of sufficient quality where, as I say, he might not be as consistent as he was three or four years ago, but he's still a top goalkeeper when you consider some of the goalkeepers across Europe that are that are playing for the top sides. So for me, make sure you get the right transfer fee. Same with Jesse Lingard, who I'm sure we'll talk about. You're in a position mm-hmm. of strength for once in these negotiations. Make it count. Well, and this really is a question about Dean Henderson, because you bring up something that's really important. We talk about Dean Henderson being David De Gea's successor. How many standout games can you remember Dean Henderson having? Uh, well, that's the challenge, I would say. Phil. That is the challenge, I think. He's he's had a run of games, obviously, at Sheffield United, and, I, and Sheffield United is not Manchester United, let me get that clear. I think he's starting to get a run of games now. Um, I don't think he's had a run of games of 15 to 20 yet. So I think he's got to earn his stripes between now and the end of the season. And the pressure will be on him next season. Next season for him, if he is the number one, even though he's young, is make or break for his Manchester United career. Because if he doesn't produce the goods long term, United will move him on and go and get an established number one anyway. I agree with you in what you've said there. But he's a goalkeeper who does have less experience than David De Gea. He's got that season at Sheffield United, as I've mentioned, under his belt. I think he needs to be given a sustained run of games, and it looks as if he is on that run now. 
and I think this is the challenge for him. He has to prove himself between now and the summer and going into next season that he can be the long-term number one. Short-term, he will be number one, but whether he can be long-term, it's all down to him. Here's the thing, Matt. When you look at the biggest calls in Solskjaer's career at Manchester United, this is up there. Because this really is the call that can make or break you as a manager. Because unlike any other position on the pitch, you can drop somebody if they don't play well for an alternative. If you know that Harry Maguire loses form, whatever, there's centre-backs that can come in. Left-backs lose form, right-backs lose form, you know what I mean. But a goalkeeper, you can have 11 or 10 Lionel Messi's in front of you and a bad goalkeeper will, will cost you three points. We talked about De Gea's individual mistakes and how many times they've cost United points, right? And I talked to Franz Hook about Dean Henderson, who had him at United as a kid, and of course was watched him very closely at Sheffield United. And it was an interesting analysis from Dean Henderson because he said exactly what you said. Like you can't compare playing for Sheffield United and Manchester United. They're different things altogether. Secondly, when you talk about the Henderson's weaknesses, they're very similar to De Gea's, and one of them being kicking. And Edward team that wants to play out from the back. I think Solskjaer wants that type of goalkeeper. I think he looks at someone like Edison and says, that's, a, that's what a modern goalkeeper looks like. Is Dean Henderson and Edison, is he that type of goalkeeper that's great shot stopping, great with his feet? Because that's what you need. I haven't seen that yet. Now, he's much more vocal. He comes off his line more. He's better with De- than De Gea than that. But big question marks for me and about Dean Henderson that have yet to be answered. And if David De Gea leaves this summer, mate, he leaves as a legend. He, lo- he cost United £17 million. Come in as a kid from Atletico Madrid. Looked really shaky in his first season. Settled down. Became, for me, maybe between 2012-13 to 2018-19, the best goalkeeper in the world. Right? I don't think there's any doubt about that. Brilliant. And then he had, he's just gone down a wee bit. And maybe even he looks at himself and says, time for a new challenge, right? So I think if he leaves, United fans should... Because also, when he didn't get that move to Real Madrid in 2015 or something like that, he didn't strap. He got on with it. He was not, he not got down. And I, I, I think he owes United nothing. He's been a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant goalkeeper for us um, and should be someone that, when his career's all said and done, should be someone forever synonymous with United because he, he, he this is where he spent the bulk of his career, been a brilliant goalkeeper, uh, never let the club down, never be involved in any scandal off the pitch, never been involved in any nonsense, always well behaved, really really nice guy. I've had to play, I, I, I met him uh, up in Seattle, mate. To- very quiet lad, but absolute gentleman, just a class guy. Um, so I have to say, I I I, I wouldn't. Mourn his loss, his exit. I almost feel like it's probably time, but I will still leave with very, very fond opinions of David De Gea, very fond memories. And in many ways, mate, there was times when he was it was David De Gea against the rest. He was our player <laughs> of the year for four or five years running. That says it all. Absolutely, he was, and and I agree. I think he was the best goalkeeper in the world for a number of years. His performances were at a, an insane level of consistency for for three or four years in the trot, as you mentioned, with those Player of the Year trophies. And 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 in light of what you said about this being a massive call, it is a massive call. But deep down, I think Solskjaer has to go with one of these two because 
if he was to, for instance, get rid of both and bring a new number one in from outside, I think that would put even more pressure on him. Um, maybe you disagree with me on that one, but I just think it was always going to be one of these two. And I think it was a, this is a sort of crossroads where a decision had to be made and it appears as if it's been made in Henderson's favour. As I say, I think you'll get a year. I think you'll get, obviously, the majority of the end of this season. But I think he'll get next season to prove himself. And if he doesn't do so to a, a sufficient standard, then I do think United will then go and look to bring in a new established number one. But I think it's a crossroads and it had to be one of the two, if I'm honest. And as I say, Henderson, for me, is the logical option at this stage. Whether he'll be United's goalkeeper for three, four, five, six seasons, I'm not willing to, to put a prediction on that because I agree with you. I think he's, he's definitely got strengths and he's definitely a very good Premier League goalkeeper. But there's lots of very good goalkeepers in the Premier League. There's maybe only two amazing goalkeepers in Edison mm. and Allison. And whether he can reach their standard, time will tell. I'm not entirely convinced, but he needs a run of games. He needs a season of games to at least prove that he's capable. Massive call. You know, we won't talk about um, United summer this is because... Lots of people predicting about what United are going to do, not going to do. Let me put it like this. Right? Manchester United don't know what they're going to do yet. There's still so many variables about United summer. Okay, So many things in place that can happen. Let's talk about Paul Pogba first. Because one of the things that's been quite apparent of recent uh, times is that Minoriola has gone very, very quiet about Paul Pogba. Uh, hasn't been any talk anymore in the media about where he's going to go, what he's going to do. And I honestly think that's because he doesn't have the legitimate interest that he needs to move Paul Pogba on. I honestly believe that Minariola is in a situation right now where he could tell Paul Pogba to stay for another year and run his contract down. I I don't think Juventus are going to come to United with 50, 60 million this summer. I don't think they have it. And uh, this is a nightmare scenario for United with, with Paul Pogba because the last thing they want him to do is run down his contract. And you can't lose an asset like that for free. And the club will get slaughtered over it. Although I'm not sure they should because at the end of the day, you can't make a guy sign a contract. If he doesn't want to sign, he doesn't want to sign. There's nothing you can do. right? But for Paul Pogba, he doesn't want to stay another year. Right? But as long as he's a Manchester United player, I suppose from United's perspective, there's a possibility he could change his mind, sign a new contract, and you keep your ass out. Right? That's always a possibility. But if you're Juventus, in light of everything that's going on recently, the pandemic, the major financial loss, they've been knocked out of the Champions League, they've got a massive squad where they've about, I mean, take a look at their midfield, it's all, all absolutely insane. They're talking about moving Ronaldo on to free up money. Um, does Juventus have 60 million? I've talked to people that are well briefed on what's going on with the Pogba situation, and they've said to me, from Manchester United's perspective, we will not accept players that Juventus want to cast off in part exchange for Paul Pogba. If Juventus come with the money, Paul Pogba goes. If they don't, and they try to do this by player swap, unless it's something that they really want, and it makes sense. Try to do it by player swap or something like that. That deal is not going to happen. That, of course, is going to impact how United go about their summer this summer. So there's different questions being asked of Manchester United this summer. And this is going to be really, really interesting 
Because one of the things that we've never really seen from United is a summer where they sell players. Three or four. How good are United going to be at negotiating player sales and getting top dollar for their players? Because if your summer business is partly contingent upon selling, then I fear what we're going to have is a drawn out transfer system somewhere what we're going to be talking about sagas again, right? Uh, I fear we'll not get anything different from what we saw last summer. If you talk to people who know what they're talking about, Matt, who are well informed on this topic, okay? Let me say a couple of things. Um, we asked about, I asked about Cavani, for example. <clears throat> that extension depends on both parties agreeing. And both the Cavani and Pogba situation are good examples of why there's lots of factors in play for United summer recruitment. That the commitment to strengthen is there. Um, United will tell you they have the highest net spend of any leading European or Premier League top six clubs since the summer of 19. Um, but they've also lost 100 million in the pandemic. And the one word that comes back consistently, Callum, is realism. So if anyone's expecting Holland and all that, you're out of your mind. Okay? Now, if I was a betting man, right? And again, remember the the, 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 word, uh, the variables. If you need to sell, then okay. But if things as they are, I would expect something similar to what we saw last summer. You need to maybe looking to exploit players coming to the end of their contract, uh, looking to exploit play, like the Teller situation and the Cavani situation, a young one or two maybe young talented players, and if you're lucky, one not quite marquee saying at the very top where you're talking about 90, 80 million, but maybe someone in a 50, 60 million bracket, right? But I would be amazed if United spend more than that 60 million this summer without player sales, I should say. The one thing that worries me, and you talked about uh, players being sold, is <clears throat> with the likes of Lingard, you've got you've got a player who's playing really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I don't think United will bring him back into the fold. I, I don't genuinely either. don't. I don't either. I, I could be proven wrong, but I really don't think so. There's too too much has happened there. Um, and I think the the fresh start and the fresh headspace for mm-hmm. him at a new yeah. club and a new city has clearly has yep. clearly done him the world of good. So I think United need to. to and this is going to sound terrible sell him quickly this summer because the worry I have is he's not part of Solskjaer's plans teams like West Ham if there's not a bidding war cause if, for instance if West Ham were to be the only show in town which I don't think they will be given his form um, I think that would be worrying for me because I think if you're West Ham you would just let that you would just let that simmer until deadline day's approaching and then United will probably take a, a more of a cut price deal than they would like to Um Whereas I think the fact that you're probably going to have two or three clubs you would think interested in him, I think that will help United get it done quickly. And I think the quicker you get that deal done, the more money I think you will make. Because the longer it drags on, and if there is only one show in town, then they're just going to call your bluff until deadline day and say, look, if he's not part of your plans, then you can just keep him and we'll take him for free when his contract's up, similar to to what we've said with with Pogba. So I think that's going to be an interesting an interesting one to watch and in terms of players coming in and trade-offs etc I always I'm always very cautious with those things um, and I know you are as well because 
we hear it every summer, not just with Manchester United, but with clubs ac- across Europe, that three players and twenty million are going to be given for this one and that one. Th- those sort of moves very rarely happen uh, when you consider that there is a, a great amount of talent across Europe at all the big clubs. They very rarely just easily swap between. So I'm always cautious of those as well. But in in regards to net spends, I mean United's budget is normally. It's normally a net spend of around sixty odd million pounds when you when you consider the Lukaku money etc that comes in and I think you're right I think you will see that again. The only thing that worries me and we've talked about this for the last few weeks, I I think it is important to sign young players that are maybe twenty one twenty two and develop them, but at the same time if you constantly do that then you're always going to be looking to a future and never looking mm-hmm. towards the present yep. and that needs to change eventually as well. And on the other hand. I don't think you can sign too many players like a Cavani as well, where they're at the opposite end of the spectrum, where you might be asked to commit two and three year deals towards someone who is ageing and it might not work out for you and then you're stuck with a lot of money that you're committing out- outgoings for, for a couple of years. So I think it's a it's a summer that, as I've said to you before, Phil, worries me and it worries me because, and I've said it, and I'm a broken record, there's a major tournament ongoing. Players are going to be focusing on that, or the top players you would think are going to be focusing on that this summer. There's a pandemic going on, so the, the, the ability to just freely move um, willy-nilly, to use a good Scottish term, I don't think it's going to be there um, to rush off from camps to clubs and back with all the quarantine measures, etc. So I think that the best clubs and the most efficient clubs will get their, their business done early. I would love to see United do that. But yeah. as you've said, with, with there being so many potential outgoings, I think it could drag on because they will want to get money in before they're willing to commit hefty sums. And as for Haaland, I mean... Obviously, his agent and himself have, have been in Spain recently. They've obviously been in Manchester for the, the Champions League tie against City. They know they've got plenty of options. Mm-hmm. And crucially for Haaland as well, he's in no real rush because his uh, release clause kicks in in a year's time. So they could easily park him at Dortmund for a year. And then you could be having Mino Raiola going to a club next January and saying, for a £60 million or whatever the release clause is, you can get Haaland and I can get you Pogba on a free for a substantial substantial signing on fee. So he holds all the power in this. That's potentially why I think and agree with you, why he's went quiet. He's he's not shy and mm. coming out with statements any other time. So I think deep down he knows yes, he might need to wait for another year for both of those players before moving them on. But ultimately, at the end of the day, he's still got the power. And that's something that will frustrate United greatly because Pogba, on form, as we both said, when he came back into the fold um, after the, the Christmas period, was absolutely sensational. Yeah, you would was. love to have him in your team. And the thought of losing him for free, that would hurt any club, never mind a club like United, who, like with Lukaku, have shown before, if they can sell someone who doesn't want to be there, they will. But the thought of losing him for free and being given a year of does he want to be there does he not or he clearly wants to leave but you can't get rid of him I think that's a nightmare scenario for all involved well Solskjaer said something at the weekend I don't know whether again I don't know whether it's broadcast in UK it's broadcast here and it was a comment and it was at the end of an interview in the interview and it went completely unnoticed but it caught my attention immediately he says at the end of this interview I'm just pleased we have enough to fill out the bench now, this is the biggest football club in the world. And every summer you need to approach the transfer window with the squad about doing the bare minimum, and that's it. And here we have a situation where young Anthony Alanga, delighted to see this kid 
get promoted. He was really getting promoted a few months ago and he picked up an injury. Didn't happen then. Young Swedish kid, he's got eight goals to the assist in the under-23s. Um, the, he's being promoted. And what worries me, Callum, if you're going to be promoted from the under-23s, okay, it has to be for the right reasons. It has to be because you've shown the form good enough to get in the first team. Now, occasionally, you get a break where you need to have a, a whole host of injuries and you get in. Marcus Rashford, for example, he took his opportunity this is a message to Danny van der Beek and others, by the way. You never get a perfect opportunity at United, but when you get it, you have to take it. Marcus Rashford gets his debut after Anthony Martial, I believe it was, injured in the warm-up against Arsenal, if I remember correctly. Or no, 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 it was against Midland. Midland. And he said, because I remember talking to Franz Hook again about it in the route, saying that when Martial got injured, they had two choices. Now playing with a striker, right? Um, or giving Rashford a crack and this is where we owe Van Hall quite a lot because he's responsible for that part of his legacy is someone like Marcus Rashford Marcus Rashford plays Marcus Rashford takes his chance when it was given to him he didn't have time to prepare he didn't have time to prepare and train and all. it's just son go play take your chance no fear go have and, and, and Rashford never looked back played Arsenal on the, the weekend Scored a couple again, right? This is where if you're Anthony Langan, you get your chance, you have to take it. But I'm listening to Solskjaer talking about Mangi, okay? Going to Derby. And James Garner going to Forest. And and by the way, Chris Hutton lauding James Garner. Very exciting. He could be someone that could come back in the summer and give you another midfield option or possibly stay in loan for another year. Personally, I'd like to stay, see him stay with just one more year and get a full season at Forest, which would be brilliant for his development, and then bring him back. Mengi, it hasn't been playing as much at Derby, but he's only 18, he's been getting good experience. But one of the things that Solskjaer said about Mengi was about the physicality that you get in the championship, which is vital, right, for development. And I accept that Mengi's a defender, but if Anthony Alanga can be promoted from the youth team into the first team without getting that development, not everyone's the same, I accept that. I don't think that's ideal. And this is a threadbare squad, Colin. Right? Really, really threadbare up front. And you've now got Anthony Martial, who's out for the rest of the season, which means Anthony Martial will finish the season on four goals. With four goals, that's not good enough. Not good enough. That can't be repeated. And now we have a situation which is really, really odd with Edison Cavani. Because the one thing that they don't need this summer is to have to sign a striker. Because that money's not there to go out and send a top striker, top defender, right winger, midfielder. It's just not there. So they desperately need Cavani to stay for another year. Desperately. Right? And then in the hope that next season you get fans back in the stadiums, which it looks like you're going to, encouraging news today, um, then perhaps the money's there next season to address that. But really, really odd uh, wording coming from people who are aware of the situation. When I asked about Cavani, I was told both parties have to agree. Now, here's what I don't understand. United announced that he signed Cavani with a one-year contract with the option of another year. What sort of you agree on? Exercise the option. When you take a look at players like Patrice Avra, who said they found out in the post that their contract got extended, that tells me that there's something wrong 
with that relationship where perhaps Cavani isn't happy with something. I don't think it's on United's end. But if they still got to agree on something, agree on what? Surely all the contractual financial terms have been agreed, so it has to be a football reason. I doubt Edison Cavani's coming back to United and saying, hey, listen, lads, I know I negotiated we have, we have a contract, a contractual legal obligation here, a legal agreement for me to stay for another year, but actually I want more money. I don't think it's money. Right? I don't think it's finances. It has to be football reasons. That's a concern. Because if Cavani doesn't stay, United absolutely have to send a striker. Right, they have to, and they and, and they can't mess about because Cavani's a world class striker. It has to be someone who's a top striker, top of their game. Otherwise, for for stop talking about Solskjaer catching City and sacking him because he doesn't. It's absolutely absurd, right? Ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. In fact, he's overperforming and finishing second, right? So you know, I know United's a big football club and there comes with big expectations, but you have to weigh that up against the tools that he's being given. And let's be honest, right? He's not being given the tools that are commensurate with what Pep Guardiola is being given. Right? And I think Pep Guardiola would find it hard to win the league with this Manchester United team. It's a very good team, but it's not on City's level consistently. Yes, they can beat them in a one-off game, but not over 38 games. Right? They don't have that ruthlessness. We saw it the first half. We see United doing just enough to win games. They've been, uh, look at, uh, uh, my, my view is Slutskrow's done a brilliant job. And, and, and here's the thing. If he doesn't get the resources this summer to come out and buy, to bring in the players that he needs to catch City, then I'm going to have to accept that Slutskrow's not the reason why United are finishing are not catching City. Slutskrow is not, if you think the only thing separating United and City at this point is a manager, you're insane. And how many times do you need to learn the same lesson over and over again? Clearly, it's a bit more, it's a bit deeper than that. And just like you say, Callum, if you buy young, you can do that. But by its very nature, you're buying on, you know, if players aren't the finished article, that means they've got to make more mistakes. That means there's inconsistency. That means all the things that come with young players. So don't slate them when they go through bad periods. That's what you get with young players. Okay, you don't get that consistency. This is not football manager. These are young kids that have massive development to make. And United is not an easy football club to develop because the pressure is massive. Right? So I think realism in the transfer market and realism with expectation, it's always about the tools that you're being given to do the job. Um, and so for me, big question marks. If, if Solskjaer doesn't get the money this summer, don't ask him to catch City. But, uh, Calm, lots of question marks about United squad, how thin it is. Um, I'm going to do a research, going to do a topic, sorry to finish to, to, to brag on, but I want to look at United's results over the last three, four years. Really since uh, Van Hal came in in May, April, May. Because I think if you go back over those three, four, five years, it's been a consistent problem in United squad, not being good enough to finish strong because it's too thin. Solskjaer complained about it, Mourinho complained about it, and here we are again with a threadbare squad. We're all going to Solskjaer saying, thankfully we've got enough players to fill out the bench. United should be ashamed of that. The thing that's frustrating about that as well, Phil, is if you had if you had an out-and-out incredible blend of a starting eleven, and you just had to fill out the squad then you would go into this summer saying, right, OK, bring in two or three mm -hmm. to really pad that squad out in key areas and then we can believe that we'll catch City because if he's out, we'll replace him with him and so on and so forth. The problem is that there are a few glaring um, alterations needed in the starting eleven, as well as beefing out the squad. And there's only so much you can do in, in, in one transfer window. And that that's the, that's the thing that frustrates me with United 
every time that on paper you think United are closer by finishing second as Mourinho did and it looks as if all he's going to do now as well. Every time on paper that you think they're closer, they end up having other issues that they have to address, whether that be, as you say, Cavani doesn't renew, right, right we need to go out and get a striker as well. Or Pogba wants to leave and he might get his move right, we need to go out and strengthen that position as well. You look at a team like Manchester City who can let their record all-time goal scorer leave mm-hmm. and say, we'll replace him and we'll move on. And not many, not very many people panic or worry. They've just signed De Bruyne up in the new long-term contract today as well. Again, without fuss, there was apparently not even an agent involved in that deal. Without fuss, it's done, you move on. With United, as we both know and as we've both said, there's always a saga, there's always a pseudo-trama, there's always something mm-hmm. that's going on in the background. When you think you are two or three players from the starting eleven away from competing, then you need to be here at the squad as well. Or one of the key cogs in that um, engine, they leave as well. And I think, I feel for Solskjaer because as you've said, he is going to be fighting with one hand tied behind his back if, if he has to go out this summer and beef up the squad as well as the starting eleven. Because at the end of the day, there's only so many players you can sign in one window, even if United mm-hmm. had the money. Even if they had the money... It would be ve- you'd be a very bold person to say United spend 250 million on five or six players and they'll compete because as we as we've seen with Chelsea last season, you can easily go and sign four top players on mm-hmm. paper in mm-hmm. one window. Good point. But they're not all going to settle at the same mm-hmm. time. So the key is to get a blend in, in in this summer's window. I don't think they can sign too many young projects. I don't think they can also sign too many Cavani types either. There has to be a blend. I think all clubs that that are successful have that blend when they go into the transfer market. The clubs that tend to say we're only signing this kind of player, eventually that tends to stagnate over the years um, because you have to adapt in football. If you don't adapt, then you get left behind, as we've seen with with many teams in the past. So uh, I feel for them. And you're right, the the problem, the thing that annoys me, sorry for this mini rant, if they don't back them in the way that we hope, and maybe, as, as I say, finances dictate, you have to shift your expectations. And this is Manchester United. There's only so many times Manchester United can claim they have to shift their expectations due to finance or squad depth before those expectations of just been finishing in the top four become mm-hmm. the normal expectation. Because you're right, if Manchester City go out and sign a decent enough striker this season to replace Aguero, then their starting eleven is very established. It's very uh, well-primed to go again next season. Whereas United could be going into next season with a weaker starting eleven, even if you beef the squad up, you could have a weaker starting eleven going into next season with a slightly beefed up squad. And if you think that's going to catch City, then you're on to plums. And again with Solskjaer as well. If you, I'm sick of that argument. Oh, if you replace Solskjaer tomorrow, and Pochettino obviously used to be the, the name and the, the favourite name, or replace him with an Allegri, someone else that's out of work. I don't think he's getting close to Guardiola with this current squad and maybe even just one or two arrivals. There needs to be a sustained approach across the club with the likes of Cavani and Pogba staying next season and being committed to the cause, which allows you to go out and address those weaknesses. Because if you're addressing some of the strengths that you've already got, then kiss goodbye to a challenge next season. Seriously, kiss goodbye to it. Yeah, could not agree more, mate. So, and, and, and with the Jesse Lingard situation, mate, so I just to back, just to finish up on that, I completely agree with you that I think United will sell him. I do believe that's the right thing to do. Look, there's a very very clear correlation between Jesse Lingard's form and him moving to West Ham, 
right? Now, we talked about Dean Henderson and the difference between playing for Sheffield United and Manchester United. Here's the difference between playing for West Ham United and Manchester United, right? Jesse Lingard's happy, right? He's playing with a new lease of life. We also talked about maybe David De Gea needs a move. Maybe we see the difference between David De Gea, he goes to a different football club and recovers his form, right? Jesse Lingard is an example, in my opinion, to footballers, not just at Manchester United, but who aren't playing, but to everyone, right? We all know what it's like when we've been in a job we detest. And then we go to a job that we love. It f- every day feels amazing. You feel happy. You notice the contrast. Things that weren't happening. And, and, and it results in a human being's performance. There's no question. So Manchester United asked Jesse Lingard the question for years. Can you deliver week in, week out for Manchester United? Because that's the only thing that really matters. Right? Not are you capable of doing this from time to time. We know he is. Right? The answer, we, we've got the answer to that question already. We already know that's not the case. So if you bring, let's say United don't sell Jesse Lingard. And they bring him back. And Jesse Lingard within a few weeks looks like the Jesse Lingard that we didn't, that we moved on. That's a major mistake of which one United will be slaughtered for. And will perhaps, in my opinion, really illustrate the uncertainty United have when it comes to decisions inside their football club. And it's always whimsical. It's when, oh, he's a bit good, he'll do. Look, we already know that Jesse Lingard, playing for Manchester United, in this environment, at this football club, with this setup, is not good enough. Who's he going to replace? Bruno Fernandes? I think not. Right? If they bring him back, to me, that's an indication of two things. One, that United don't have the money to go out and bring in the players that they need and they're recycling a player they've so that the couple of months ago is completely frozen out. Two, that United still don't know exactly what they want in key positions. Right? So <clears throat> for me, it's a Jesse Lingard's United are in a good situation with Lingard. I don't think it's relevant with Lingard because we're not talking about a hundred million pound footballer here, right? With Jesse Lingard's contract being up next season, I don't think that's going to be relevant when it comes to his price. There's going to be a number of clubs that will be, have their resources to buy Jesse Lingard. Right? West Ham. If you never can never turn around this summer and say, give me 40 million. Let's be honest. Right? Two months ago, Jesse Lingard, if you'd have got 15 million, you'd have snatched their hands off for it. Right? If Lingard continues in this reign of Vienna form between now and the end of the season, neither could get 40 million for Lingard. That's... You, you, you take that, you know, what did they pay for Bruno Fernandes? 60? Something or thereabouts? You take it, right? That means you get Bruno Fernandes. If you had offered an opportunity, if you'd have said a year ago, here's Bruno Fernandes uh, and his part exchange for Jesse Lingard in 20 million, you'd have taken that deal, wouldn't you? So for me, oh, 100%. Yeah, and we've had a pandemic since then. You get whether West Ham of 40 million, that's a talk about whether you use that to negotiate for Declan Rice, possibility. Right, I would love to see a player like Declan Rice at United, and I really, genuinely believe that is a major problem with United. You know, <clears throat> one of the things I didn't like about the weekend was how deep United played Fred and Pogba, right? Because Fred gives you nothing as an attacking option, but Declan Rice, you could play him deep, and he'd still give you something as an attacking option, right? He's technically so good, brilliant with the ball. You know, it, it, perfect for United building out from the back. A player that can sit in front of your defence and connect, right? That has that capability. So for me, very, very important that United address that. I'm not sure that they will. But 
to me, I think if United could negotiate that type of deal with West Ham, say, here's Lingard plus 30 million for Declan Rice. Mate, you do that deal overnight, right away. You snatch it, you'll never get a chance to do that again. You know, did, So I, I do think United will sell Lingard this summer. Um, and I think uh, 40 million would be a reasonable price. I agree. And the other point I want to make on Lingard, just very briefly, for, for anyone who's listening to this and is maybe excited about his form at West Ham and trying to correlate that with him improving Manchester United, mm-hmm. the other point I want to make is about styles of play. Jesse Lingard scored an incredible goal the other night where he'd space to run into against Wolves. When Manchester United play Wolves, that's not the way Wolves set up against Manchester United. Mm-hmm. It's just not. They'll sit deeper and it's harder to break them down. The analogy of a player I would use uh, with... Um, with Lingard at the moment is Craig Bellamy. Craig Bellamy looked brilliant for many clubs that he played for in the Premier League. He had two spells at Liverpool where people, where teams defended deep against him and he was frustrated and both spells weren't entirely successful. Mm-hmm. And for me, if Lingard returns to United, you're going to see a lot of that again. You're going to see a lot of the same old arguments. You're going to see a lot of the, the same old frustrations, probably from his point of view, but from fans as well. And I think as well, even just from a, a mental health perspective, Lingard will see the contrast between the way it ended at United and the way it started at West Ham and he'll want more of that and and this is a position of strength for United to get a decent fee or as we've said Mm -hmm. and pray pray it would happen if United could use that um, as leverage for a player like a Declan Rice then, then you simply have to do it because I think West Ham as a club know that Declan Rice is going to leave in the next year to, to two years maximum he's definitely going to leave that football club so if United can use Lingard to their advantage then they'd be silly not to so I definitely think that's a deal that needs to be looked at someone in that area of the pitch even if it wasn't to be nice has to be looked at because I agree we've talked about Fred and I don't want to constantly dig him out but we know what Fred is he Mm -hmm. can do the ugly sides of the game very well however on the ball he leaves a lot to be desired on most occasions so he's a player who is steady and steady, steady is great to have in your squad. We talked about beefing out the squad earlier. It's great to have a steady player like Fred in your squad. The problem is, too many steady players and you're starting eleven, and you aren't winning league titles. That's just a fact. So that needs to, to definitely be addressed longer term. And, and, and it, it's, it's something that, that I hope can be addressed this summer. A lot of people are talking about um, signing a centre-back. I, I agree, I'm one of them. Um, another right-sided player. I think that holding midfield role is just so so crucial, oh, it's pivotal, and man. I think it needs to it needs to be addressed this summer. I hate, I don't want United to have to get into the the, the the argument of choose one or the other. I feel they will. If you have to choose one or the other, I just think if you could get a top quality holding midfielder, Wilfred and Didi of Leicester comes to mind. I really rate him quite highly. Whether he could step up to United. Totally different ball games we talked earlier with Henderson. I don't know, but he is just tailor made to come in and improve that United team. The way he plays, the, the quality he's got on the ball, and and that's something that United need to sign that that sort of player in that sort of position because defensively, Lindelof and Maguire aren't the answer long term. But there would be an improvement in them with someone of real quality in front of them. And if you had to choose between one or the other, I think personally I would. I'd be drawn towards a really strong holding midfielder because if you're going to have Pogba next season and you're going to have Fernandez next season, a really strong holder who can put it, hold it together and also contribute going forward, like a Rice, like an Indidi would be crucial. As I say, I don't want United to have to go into this summer choosing uh, one key position and, and sacrificing another couple. 
if they had to, and, and I worry they may have to, as you've talked about with the economics and the, the pandemic, that for me is the position that is just so, so crucial. Well, and you know, from a West Ham's perspective, Matt, you bring up a good, couple of good points. First of all, I believe um, they took out a hundred million loan, uh, bridging loan, earlier in the season. Um, finances are not great. With Declan Rice, they have to have a fear that that kid could go to Chelsea. I think he's a Chelsea fan. They like him quite a bit. Um, so they're in a situation where if you want Jesse Lingard, you have an asset to get him plus money. right? So do they say this summer, do you know what, we want Jesse Lingard. And this is going to work both ways because typically if there wasn't a pandemic, Lingard would be worth more. right? Um, but I know his contract's up next season. West Ham are not going to get the option of waiting for another year to keep him. Right, they have to move now, so maybe it makes sense for them to say, "Let's keep Jesse Lingard. Let's get that move Declan Rice on. Let's get maybe thirty million off here. Plus, Jesse Lingard. That's a good deal for me for West Ham because Declan Rice is still unproven, mate. Very, very good player. But as we have just pointed out with Dean Henderson at Sheffield United, Jesse Lingard at West Ham. I mean, the playing at Manchester United is a different thing, and Declan Rice could easily go to Manchester United and Chelsea and not succeed. So there's always risk involved when you're buying young players. When United spent ninety million on Pogba, they spent money on his development. He wasn't a complete player. They said this guy will become a complete player. You couldn't say, in all honesty, if Paul Pogba left United today, he's a better player than what he was when he came and he's worth more. So that development's not guaranteed, no matter how good and highly rated that young prospect is. Right? So for the young Irishman, Declan Rice, <laughs> last question marks. A um, couple of things I want to talk about, mate, really quickly uh, before we get on to our listeners' questions. A um, little interesting snippet. Eden Terzic, uh, by the way, studied United's tactical setup against Manchester City a few weeks ago as the blueprint for how you beat Manchester City. Not bad for a guy that's disgracefully maligned by people who know nothing about what they're talking about who just don't understand how to have any any nuance in how they think that if Manchester United lose the game, that is the only metric. Look, ultimately, it is the most important metric. Ultimately, Solskjaer is going to get judged on trophies, but you have to have a brain and see that there's so much more going on at Manchester United. It's rebuilding a football club. The real focus should be, why do they need to rebuild a football club that was broken? Who broke it? Right. Well, absolutely. And the other thing as well about the argument with Solskjaer and, and, and his tactical ability and his coaching ability, the one problem, and this isn't just with football, it seems to be in society, everything's so binary now. You're either for something or against something. Mm-hmm. So you either think Solskjaer is a decent coach or he's not. He's a complete fraud. He's not a good coach at all. And you're seeing that at the moment with Trent Alexander-Arnold. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going through a tough day in a form. Some people say, oh, he's absolutely terrible. He's the most overrated fullback in the world. Whereas others say, no, he's the best. He's the best in Europe. He's this, he's that. There, there's no sense of perspective to say, look, Solskjaer is a, a very good coach. You, you don't improve the Manchester United team that he inherited from where it was to where it is now if you're not. I'm sorry, but there's only people say, oh, he's just a motivator. He's just someone who can get players on side by being a nice character. I'm sorry, but eventually that fizzles out. How many times have we seen it in the past where someone comes into a job um, that for six months it becomes very rosy. You could have said that when you initially took over. You had this lovely situation where it was going so well, then it dipped. If he wasn't a good coach and he was one-dimensional, it would have dipped completely and he wouldn't be in a job now. But he's not. He's improved the, he's improved the squad. He's improved the club. They're now in second place in the Premier League. 
I'm not saying you herald that from the rooftops and say, well, we're second, fantastic. You do have to strive to improve, and that's something that the club hopefully will do. But you have to have a level of ta- tactical acumen to, to, to get United from where they were under the Close. latter days of Mourinho, which was going nowhere to going somewhere. And if you look at that same coach who um, who was uh, heralded as being one of the tactical masterminds, he's, what was it he said the other day, um, same, play, same coach, different players, yeah. or, or whatever it was. I mean, that United are so so much better off for having Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yeah. in more ways than one and I think it's important that he starts to get the credit he deserves but crucially as we've said also Phil a trophy goes a long way to shutting a lot of those people up and it also goes a long way to building the momentum to improve for next season it's not a one size fits all you don't win the Europa League and suddenly everything's fixed and you've rebuilt United it's part of the journey and crucially, if you invest this summer, if you give him scope to bring in a quality hold midfielder, as we've said, or a quality centre-half, someone of real quality to add to the starting eleven, then I think he will continue to take United in the right direction. If you do not give him the tools, if you do not give him that trust and you sign a couple of projects or a couple of journeymen to, to beef out the squad, then he's not going to compete with Pep Guardiola. Because if guys like Jose Mourinho and others can't compete with Pep Guardiola, having spent large sums and, and having beefed out squads, then... It just shows you you need to back a manager to go the extra mile to compete, especially with the level of resources that they've got. Yeah, and I also want to point out, so you bring up an important point. If you remember before Mourinho got the Spurs job, I can't remember what game it was. It was Liverpool was playing. I can't remember who was playing them. And Mourinho was on Sky Sports, and he does this four-minute monologue about playing against a low block and everything, right? And lots of people got the white tankies out, and used this as bona fide evidence that Mourinho was a genius and yet over idiots for sacking him. Right? Now, I'm going to point out the obvious. So forgive me to those of you who uh, understand this as obvious. Just because you can go on Sky Sports and talk in technical football jargon doesn't make you a very good manager. Right? In fact, what Mourinho said that day on Sky Sports, I could probably get any under-16 coach at any decent level to come out and say the same. Now, managing people, that's what makes a great manager. All right? And there's a trillion variables in managing human beings. Anyone who's ever been in any position of management at any company will know this. You can't have a one-size-fits-all approach to human beings who are vastly different and motivated by different things, who are also bringing a personal life to work, who are bringing about all the things that affect them externally, okay? And you've got to manage that. And you've got to know which ones to put the arm around, you've got to know which ones to bolt, and you've got to know which, how to get the best out of people, right? That is a whole different skill than sitting on Sky Sports talking about football manager level of tactics on low blocks and, you know, inverted wingers and all that bollocks, Right? Because that has nothing to do with having a human being in front of you and knowing how to motivate them and get the very best out of them, right? Everyone in football, in professional football, can do what Mourinho did. Can talk like that. You don't get to that level of football with a rudimentary knowledge of tactics. You don't. Any manager in any level of professional football can do that. The difference is not... The difference is not in their tactical ability. I mean, take a look at a club like Manchester United or any top football club. 
think about how many people work at that football club that understand tactics on a forensic level and it's set up and everything else. You know, I mean, come on, right? Are you telling me that Solskjaer spent 20 years playing professional football and left the dunce? Don't be an idiot. Right? Of course he understands tactics. I mean, Sol Ferguson repeatedly said one of the things that made Solskjaer great was his ability to sit on the bench, analyse the game, come in and exploit the weaknesses that he analysed from the bench. He didn't just sit there chewing, chewing gum, thinking about what he watched last night and what he's doing this weekend. He was watching the game of football, looked at the weaknesses, came on and exploited them. Right? So Ferguson, who tactically you could argue wasn't the greatest team tactical technician didn't do certainly didn't do a lot of coaching but he was a genius at managing people Cal when you get to Manchester United talent gets you there right now you are a very talented human being you don't get the United by accident you don't get to any top football club by accident you must demonstrate exceptional ability week in week out so they did that right then it becomes how do you get the best out of this person that's a different question and as you can see with Mourinho Compare and contrast with what Mourinho has done at Solskjaer. Because see, it was the other way around, Callum. You see, Solskjaer had left on the terms that Mourinho did and left United in the mess that United did, 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 Mourinho did. Mourinho came in and done Solskjaer's job. There'd be a whole different narrative, right? Oh, Jose Mourinho, by his own admission, said, what, his greatest achievement was finishing second by, with this United team? A United team he spent hundreds of millions on, right? But all of a sudden, it's failure for Solskjaer. Look, come on now. So... Uh, and, and by the way, United are far from perfect, right? And each to their own. But this Manchester United team, for me, is a much more enjoyable Manchester United team than Noel Mourinho did. Because when United play poor, right, I don't believe that's a direct result of what the end product that the manager wants. I think Solskjaer wants United to play high-intensity football, all that. But when United play poor under Mourinho, I felt that was United following Mourinho's instructions. Make the game ugly. Right, so don't don't be seduced by managers, by footballers who go on Sky Sports and talk in wonderful glowing terms and use phrases and all these modern phrases to describe things that were just called a different term 30 years ago, 40 years ago. That is not what makes a great manager. Can I want to mention a couple of other things because we get we're running out of time. Man. One of it, uh, Zidane Iqbal uh, signed a new contract for United. Very, very, very exciting for this young kid. But what more importantly, man. Southeast Asian kid, right? Brilliant to see young Southeast Asian kids making it the top flight. And if you're a young Southeast Asian kid, whether you're in England or abroad, this is very, very important. This is for you to see someone just like yourself that gives you the motivation and inspiration to, to, to go on and fulfill your dreams. He's an icon for, for those kids and for many other kids across the world. You don't have to be Southeast Asian. So, so pleased for the kid. And as we know, Callum, people from my part of the world are football fanatics. They go there, they're filling stadiums up and down the country in England and all, all across the world. Brilliant to see young Sudan Iqbal uh, sign a new contract. And I think he's been there since he's like eight or nine. So really pleased for him. Charlie Savage as well, who's a better looking version of his dad. Robbie, <laughs> pleased to see him getting a new contract. Uh... Juan Mata will probably leave his summer mates contracts up. I'll uh, be disappointed to lose him. But uh, good to see United getting a couple of their young players signed um, for uh, for the future. Good to see those kids uh, committing. And once again, really, really pleased for Sudanic Ball. And, and people from that part of the world, mate. 
Absolutely, and, and signing the young players up uh, to contracts is vital um, because at the end of the day, you don't want to have situations where they're leaving the club prematurely and you then maybe have to go and buy them back, as we've seen in the past as well. I know there was other mitigating factors as well, but I think the thing that's really pleased me about United uh, with the youth setup is the fact that they're signing these young players up, which is great, and they're developing them in-house. But as you've mentioned with Garner, as you've mentioned with uh, Mengi, they're also forming relationships with clubs in the Championship to trust them with their talent, which is something Chelsea have had real success at in recent years. You think of Mason Mount, obviously I know it was Lampard, but went to Derby. Tam Abraham was at Bristol City and then Aston Villa. I think the Championship in England can be a really good um, preparation for a player before they get put into that thrust of the Manchester United first team as, as you've talked about with um, with Alanga. So I think it's it's it's, it's for me it's, it's a positive to see United to getting these players signed up but I also would credit them as I say for establishing those relationships because it's very easy for clubs to have maybe a certain arrogance and think I don't really want to give my players to this club or that club or that league but you have to establish those relationships they have to be strong by all accounts, Les Parry, who's the loans manager, um, is, is, is got a really strong relationship with Nottingham Forest, which is obviously really good for, for Jimmy Garner. He's doing really well there. And, and I, I said a few weeks ago, I think Chris Hutton's the sort of guy. Uh, and there's a few of those managers in the championship that if you've got a young player you want to develop, you want to give them to someone like him who's been around the block. He knows what it takes to win promotions. He knows what it takes to manage in the Premier League and stay in the Premier League because at the end of the day, albeit yes, you're going to return to United and the expectation is going to be higher than just staying in the Premier League. But it's important to, to have a manager that knows the standards of the Premier League, who knows the standards of elite level football. And even in Wayne Rooney at Derby, albeit has his more as a player rather than a manager at this stage, but for young Mengi, he knows exactly what it takes to be a Manchester United player and to be a top-level player. So it can only do these kids the world of good and long may it continue. I completely agree with that. Um, going to get into your questions, folks. Once again, thank you, Dietz and Roni, for downloading the podcast. We're running a bit over today, so I apologise. But um, I do want to get to your questions. We, our listeners, mean a lot to us. Before I do that, I want to give a special mention to Keith Russell. And please follow at... Uh, D.E. Endless Spiral, I'll retweet it on my timeline right now. Um, D.E. Endless Spiral is share your experiences in all things sports, mental health, uh, learn from others, will help others. You'll know, anyone that listens to this, we're massive advocates of mental health. Keith is someone that's followed me for a long time. Lovely fella, uh, truly committed to these causes. So please, folks, uh, we're going to be doing so much more on mental health. Um, I've had a podcast, Okay Not To Be Okay. It's been somewhat dormant. Uh, I don't always get time to do it, but what I have been doing the last two weeks has been reaching out to a lot of people. Um, I want to talk to a few girls on there because I want to talk about their experiences from lads who just unbelievably attacked them for being girls who like football. And honestly, folks, don't amplify that. Don't endorse that. If that's someone you know, call it out. Don't tolerate it. Call it out. Don't allow it. I have a do- I have two daughters and I'd be mortified and livid if any idiot spoke to them like that. I have a mother, I have, you know, wife, you know, this is unacceptable. So lads, all of us, come on now, right? And in light of some recent bullying that come across my timeline, for the love of God, please, please, please don't assume that someone can take toxic and negativity and, 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 pylons and assume that they're going to laugh it off. You just don't know. Come on. We can't afford to lose anyone else. 
at stop this for all of us. So massive shout out to Keith. So let's get to some of our questions. And once again, thanks to each and every one of you for sending in your messages and uh, your tweets. Uh, I'll get to first one. From Paul Carson, uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts with our expected budget and expected outgoings who should bring in from real uh, from realistic targets. Uh, Paul, we've sort of touched on this a little bit throughout the podcast, realism being the word. Um, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts with expected budget. We've already talked about expected outgoings. Uh, I would say Mata is probably go- would leave. I don't really think... United with with you know, Wamata's well, thirty three. You know he's had long periods out. I, I, I don't think that's something United really should be. Should, he, lovely guy, great person around the club, but it's hard to see why he would extend this contract. I think he'll go. I think Lingard will go. They have some interesting decisions to make at centre back, Callum, because Toon's EV and Bay are neither of whom are going to accept staying at the football club and not playing that many games. If they don't sign a centre back, then I can see both of them staying. If they do sign a centre back then really both of them are in the same boat, right? Both of them would have to leave. Like you can't imagine two and ZB at 23. I think he's played 16 games. Nowhere near enough would accept that. Maybe he goes out on loan, but if he goes out on loan, to me, it has to be a top-half Premier League team, right? Um, uh, Baye's at a point where loans are pointless. He needs to go. Then there's the goalkeeping situation. You know, what do we do there? There's the Dallow situation, which is interesting. Um, and, of course, the Pogba situation. Then there's the Cavani. So there's so many variables when it comes to outgoings where we're going to find out how United's negotiating skills are with players that are outgoing. And I hope they don't do the same with the incomings and drag that out. Cal, any, 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 um, any comments on that? Just the only thing I would add is we've talked about uh, with the budget. I think you're probably going to see um, the same sort of level of, of net spend that United normally have between 60 and 80 million. I don't really think, as uh, you mentioned it earlier, people out there thinking United are going to go out and get a Haaland and they're going to have a net spend of 150, 200 million. Absolutely no chance in this window. The, the pandemic's affected every club. United being a, a club with a loyal fan base who are there week in, week out, it's affected them as well. So don't expect a, a silly net spend from United or most other clubs because it simply won't happen this summer. Azim Iqbal sends in uh, a tweet saying, love to hear our thoughts on Haaland and Sancho's price. Um, <clears throat> Haaland has a release clause next year. Sancho is a year less on his contract. Dortmund won't be in the Champions League. I can see Sancho uh, being around 70 and Haaland around 100. Haaland and Sancho different situations, right? <clears throat> because um, well, Haaland, Dortmund can sell more or less for whatever they want. High is better, right? Sancho does not the same level of interest. And... I don't think clubs are willing to spend as much on Jadon Sancho as they are on Erling Haaland, right? So I said last season that I felt that Dortmund were playing a risky game with Sancho in that I felt a year from now clubs would be in a very difficult financial situation it was entirely predictable and they'd have to sell him for less. Um, I think 70, 80 million you could get Sancho out of Dortmund for that price. What do you think, Calm, on those questions? Um, on Haaland, I think, as we talked about earlier with Raiola, there is no rush for Haaland to leave Dortmund. Um, of course, he wanted to play Champions League football, but the Bundesliga is still a good standard. If he had to stay there for another year, in a year's time, he's going to be going for a release clause. This is a, a reduced rate as to what many top clubs would pay. You would assume, uh, and, and I'm making this clear, this is my assumption, if he was to stay an extra year, you'd imagine the signing on fee he, was, he, he would mm-hmm. get in a year's time at a club would, would make up for, for, for whatever he's missing out on this summer, if you look at it that way. 
In regards to Sancho, over here in the UK, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher on the flagship Monday Night Football um, show did not put him in their England World Cup squads, which I thought was, mm. was interesting. And that, for me, probably shows the fact that there's any form of debate as to whether he's going to be in that squad or, or even a debate that's going to be omitted, to me, shows that his price tags went down. Because at the end of the day, if you ask more than... Well, anyone last season, they'd have probably have said, you know, over £100 million footballer, he'll be a certain to start for England at the Euros. Fast forward a year on, there's talk of him maybe not even been in the, the England squad. And as a, as a result, I agree with you, Phil. I think between 80 and eighty and £90 million, I think, would seal Sancho. They might ask for a sell-on in return, but there's no way they're getting over £100 million this this summer anyway. No chance. Uh, just a quick uh, comment on Sancho, mate. Some weird how some things happen. With the United's injuries, uh, uh, Martial... Being out, this gives a great opportunity for the likes of young Diallo, right? I'm mad to get a couple of games and take that chance. If he shows tremendous promise between now and the end of the season, maybe scores a couple of goals, a couple of has a couple of exciting games, has and, and, and creates a buzz around him. I don't think you need to go for Sancho. I think they're looking for a reason not to go out and spend that type of money if they can. If he shows potential, then they don't, and then maybe they maybe maybe that's the right thing to do. So I don't know. Be interesting to see. Uh, I want to talk about elite analysis sends in the question. The true need to have Holland as their number one target this summer, as the men reported. Uh, Manchester the News, if it's true, I still don't believe it. Zero chance we pay to get him next year, blah, blah, Okay, uh, zero chance we get him this year, and we need say, CDM right wing centre-back so much more than £120 million centre-forward. I agree with that. Look, the Holland ship seal, they should have got him a year ago, right, when he was available. Um, they should have made sure they got him. And I, don't, I think when you look at the performance of Jude Bellingham the other night, and you look at Holland, it's embarrassment for United. It is a total embarrassment, right? They missed out on two of the top young talents in the world. If you're not going to spend massive amounts of money, like they said they're not, then you have to get these players, right? Or you don't. Because even if you're not going to sign world-class players, right, because of their finances, and you're not going to sign the best young players, then what are you left with? And then what are you left with if you're going to send second-rate players that there isn't the same appetite for and hope that you can develop them on, right? You need unbelievable scouting, right? You saw the Moises Casado thing, right, where they were interested, kind of half of it, half of it. These are the things that concern me about United, right? Because anytime there's competition for a player, they don't get them. And this is always the case. They always lose. They always fin- They always, always come out second-best. So... Anytime you're in a, in, in a situation where it's about competence, where it's about you know showing you have better nice negotiating capabilities in your in your rivals, selling your football club to the, to, the, to these players, you've never seen you do a good job at this, right? I can understand part of that because you've got business people trying to sell a football club that don't understand what's important to a football player who assume that the only thing that matters to these people is the only things that matter to them, and that's compensation. But it's more than that, right? So uh, to me. I think this is where John Murda and these people come in. It's really, really important. They know how to sell a football club to young players um, and, and, and prioritise development as well. So for me, I don't think you know, are, are going to get Holland. I don't think they target him. I don't think they'd even consider buying him at that price. There is not a hope in hell that you know, that we're going to spend £100 million on a football this summer. Will not happen. Um, if Cavani was to leave... Do not be surprised if United were to sniff around someone like Aguero, who would be free, fit what United are trying to do, stopgap, still score goals, still at this level, almost a Dennis Law in reverse. And um, I think um, 
that wouldn't surprise me to see something like that happen, uh, but we shall see. Uh, we'll try to run through these ones really quickly, folks, because we're way, way over on time. Uh, Mimo, uh, M-E-M-E-O-N-E-113 says, Matches netted interest in Neto, Sancho, of what defenders and the main targets, Botman, blah, blah, blah. Botman, uh, Kanati, uh, Kulabali, and what strikers? Yeah, it's a lot, a lot of questions, mate. Um, <clears throat> some of them we've already answered. Um, strikers, we don't know yet because it partly depends on what happens with Cavani. Neto, I know nothing about. I, I've saw the rumours with you know moving from Wolves and all that door, 50 million. I think if United are going to spend that type of money on a player, they're going to they're going to skip the fact that they're going to go to Portugal and maybe sign someone like Pedro Goncalves or something. Someone in Portugal, uh, much like they did with Bruno Fernandes, where they feel they can get an equivalent player at a better price, and why not? You know, we'll, we'll sign Neto from Lazio, I believe. Um, and uh, a lot of those players that were bought for exceptional prices, like Ruben Neves and players like that. So. Um, why not go back to Portugal and get a player at that price? There's some magnificent young talents there. So I don't see United signing someone like Pedro Neto. Um, if they choose not to sign someone like Jadon Sancho, mate, it wouldn't surprise me if, if that's based on price and they still feel they need a right winger. Don't be surprised if you if they go back for Ishmael Asar. Uh, what's your take on that, mate? And quick, quick uh, comment on who you think they'll target in defence. In terms of who they'll target in defence, that's, I suppose, a million-dollar question in terms of how much they're willing to commit. Um, I think Botman's an interesting one. He was linked to Liverpool last season. Um, mm-hmm. he was, he's an Ajax Academy uh, yeah. youth product. Obviously, he's now at Lille. I think he could potentially become an option um, that's affordable for United. The likes of Koulibaly, etc., I don't see. Um, in terms of a forward-thinking player, obviously I'm based in Scotland. This isn't biased. I'm just making the point because he's been linked to the top clubs in the past. Odson Edwards going to leave Celtic. I'm not mm. saying for any moment of fact that United should go for him. I'm just saying that if you're looking for a forward-thinking player and you're forced into mm. looking for a forward-thinking player, he's going to be affordable. He's got 12 months left in his contract. He's heavily linked with Brendan Rodgers, Leicester City. Yeah. Whether he could be a, a good option, a squad option for United... I think personally he could be a good squad option. I know he might not excite maybe a lot of United fans and I don't think personally the club will be down that route. But if I'm thinking of an affordable option, someone like that could be available. Um, but as I say, I think you're right. There's no way United go for, for Neto. If they do, I don't think they should have signed a mad. I think it just defies the whole point of signing a mad. If you go and sign someone who's only a couple of years mm-hmm. um, older than him, doesn't have the greatest deal of experience other than this season, um, because if you do that, then as I say, you're you're, you're essentially buying two prospects, and you know, only one of them can get game time. Oh, especially when you still got Palestri to consider. Uh, Dylan Brown sends in the question. Mate, we pretty much answered these questions, but I'll read them out anyway. Uh, do you think Henderson is currently showing enough to be considered as United's number one? We talked about that in depth earlier. Um, and do you think the hell we moved on this summer is being reported again? Mate, we covered those. So uh, thanks once again for the questions, Paul. Really, really appreciate it, mate. Uh, if you have anything that we didn't cover on that, just drop me a, a tweet or something. We'll either, we'll either respond or cover it in next week's show. Uh, I've got a message here from Schools on at Schools underscore four underscore United Stephen who asks right wing centre right wing CDM CB is top of the list. Uh, bring good Titans. Looking forward to it. Yes, that's what's rightly being reported, is that United's priorities are right-wing, um, CDM, C-back, centre-back, uh, cent- you know, defensive midfielder. 
That has been what's lately reported, but that is a fluid situation and not a subject to change. Look, transfer, predicting transfers is, you know, it's a nightmare, mate, right? Because it, it, people have to realise that recruitment is constantly fluid and one detail, one minor detail can change everything. So you're sitting here from our perspective and you've got solid information. You're saying, yeah, they're going to do this and then they do something different. Right, that doesn't mean that your information at the time is wrong. It just means that the situation has changed, as it constantly does. Um, the, so, I think, and based on everything that I'm hearing from uh, people that are connected, it would know. Uh, as far as United's actual signings this summer and what they're going to do, that's still yet to be determined, um, and we shall see. Uh, Keen Franey, a lovely lad, by the way. If you haven't checked out uh, Keen's podcast, check out Weekly Armchair. Um, you can catch you can you can catch Keen at uh, Keen K E N E K E A N E as in Roy underscore F R A N E Y. Lovely kid, Daphne. Check him out. Thoughts on Greenwood getting a prolonged run as a striker for the rest of the season, mid. Great question because so happy to see Greenwood score again, following up with his goal. In the, uh, that's two and two for him. Maybe now we're starting to see him go on a run at a time when we badly need him to go on a run. Uh, I have no doubt about Mason Greenwood's talent. I have no doubt that he'll go on to be an exceptional talent. Um, but as we talked about with young players, the inconsistency up down. Um, this is what you should expect. Um, but good to see him back scoring goals. Would you give him a run as main striker? With Martial out injured, Phil, I think I think we should mm-hmm. um, play him through the middle. Um, I think if you play him through the middle, it also opens up a position on the right. You talked about young Ahmad earlier. If there's a position that opens up on the right between now and the end of the season, then this is a perfect chance for this kid to come in and stamp his authority. I mean, age... Age is only a barrier if someone's not good enough. Greenwood showed last season that a young player can can flourish when he's confident, when when he comes in and plays in a position he's comfortable with. So, as I say, for me, playing through the middle, if it gives him a, a, an opportunity to play a few more games as well, it could be a win-win for United and maybe save them a few quid in the summer because they maybe realise they don't have to go and get the likes of a Sancho and can put their budget elsewhere. Uh, last couple of questions. Thank you so much, Cam, for your time and thanks to all of you for staying with us. Uh, Fudi Hemet, I really want to get this question because this is you guys followed us for a long time, been a loyal listener of the show. Uh, anything on the Malaysian Prince Banner Steak? I honestly don't want anything about that. Um, United are often used by people to promote their own ends, and nothing better than to link yourself with a football club with unpopular owners and pretend that you're going to put money in. Usually, when people are going to put money in, they don't talk about it in the press, they do it privately. Uh, and then you find out about it. Uh, so I don't think that's going to happen. And again, there's a couple of things here. Look, as much as I detest the Glazers, that doesn't mean that I want them to go for anyone. I certainly wouldn't want United bought by someone who's attempting to use a club for sports washing, right? As bad as the Glazers are, I still would prefer uh, the, the Glazers over Saudi owners. And if you don't, right, if you are that obsessed with getting rid of the Glazers to the point where you would want people owning this football club who you're putting United and your entertainment above human rights. You need to take a look at yourselves, right? And make no mistake about it, anywhere where the Glazers or anyone else are aligned with people who are invested in in, in, in genocide and things like that, and mass slaughter, like banks, for example, that help fund uh, you know, what's going on in Myanmar, I will eviscerate anyone. This football club is not 
it's a proud, proud institution. We don't need benefactors. We don't need the club generates plenty of money. All we need is someone that loves the football club in the same way you and I do. You can still make money off United. You can still live, live exceptionally well. But uh, I wouldn't want this football club to move into the hands of... And I'm, by the way, I'm not saying that's the case with the Malaysian Prince. I don't know. Um, I don't think there, there's anything in that story, though. Just to add to that, Phil, Manchester United could be for sale one day, but Manchester United soul should never be for sale. Condor Bersham, yeah, bang on, nail on the head. Uh, last two questions, at FC Mabry, uh, uh, Sancho happening this time or not, how much do you think the truth is? We've already covered both of those, but I want to read these questions because these are loyal listeners of the show and I also want to appreciate Sancho, I, if I had to put money on it, I'm going to say no. Uh, Holland, definite hard no. Um, so I think that is it. Oh, God. sorry. We're, uh, uh, Addy Ball, Lingard, money for race. Do you think this will happen? And does Riola put you off Holland? Um, I want to make a point on Mina Riola, but Lingard, money for race. Do you think that will happen? I I would love it to happen. Personally, I don't think so, no. Especially if if West Ham get Champions League football, then everything to convince race to stay one more year is there, in my opinion. Oh, in the words of my wife, it's longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, so, I uh, lingered money, Riola, and that put you off. I want to make a point there because people, I, I, I don't understand this. Mina Riola is an agent. He's not a Manchester United fan, nor should he behave like one. All right? Mina Riola represents players. What Mina Riola does. Mina Riola has been given permission to do by his boss, which is the player. If you don't like Mina Riola, you have to remember a couple of things. He is a representative. Now, I mean, I own my own agency. I represent people. And I never do anything that's going to get me in trouble or it's going to be a conflict of the individual that I'm representing and their culture. None of that. In fact... You are well-schooled before you sit in front of someone representing someone's interest that this is exactly how you want to be represented. And everybody knows if you're a representative, do it wrong and you get sacked. Do it, do something that offends your client, you get sacked. Okay? So you're an extension of them. And when you do something that's not consistent with what your client wants and how they want to be represented, you get sacked. Now, if I go do something, especially if I do it consistently, then it's a safe bet to say that is how my client wants to be represented. So never ever hold Mina Riola responsible for how he behaves. It's the player. If I represent the devil to represent me, don't blame the devil. Because he tells you what he is. Mina Riola's job for Paul Pogba is to get Paul Pogba a move to a football club that he wants. If Paul Pogba goes to Mina Riola and says, Mino, I want to stay. Like, say, Verratti did with PSG. Then Mina Riola negotiates a contract and Paul Pogba stays. So don't blame Mina Riola for being a good football agent. He's not an Eta fan. I have no issue with Mina Riola. I, and when I say that, I mean that everything he does is representative of his client's wishes. So, uh... If Erlen Holland doesn't want Mina Riola represent him this way, then Mina Riola doesn't represent him this way. Okay? Romelu Lukaku left that agency. Okay? Lots of people leave agents if they don't feel they're being represented the way they want to be. It's, con- it's consistent with their image. Okay? Because Mina Riola 
also is very, very, very conscious of the image of his players. In fact, the first year at United, he refused to let Paul Pogba do interviews with anything outside of the football club's uh, media. And where uh, the only time he would, uh, of course, Paul Pogba has obligations to do it with other people, but he told Pogba, concentrate on your football first year. That's all, don't worry about doing interviews and all this, right? Do it where you're where you're obligated, but outside of that, no. So um, there's lots of things that don't make the media about me. You know, I'm not endorsing him anything. I'm just saying, don't blame him. Uh, do you have anything to add on that, man? I think that's a fair summary. Um, agents, of course, uh, do get a hard time from fans. I can understand that, but at the same time, another agent who I've spoken to in the past, um, who who is a big name and, and gets a hard rap, is Jonathan Barnett. Jonathan yeah. Barnett represents Gareth Bale. The way Gareth um, wants to be Make public statements. Jonathan <laughs> Barnett, as you've said, would I? He doesn't wake up in the morning and think, "Who can I annoy today?" He wakes up and puts a message out that the player wants out there. When when Gareth Bale was um, potentially going to China, that was front and centre. When Gareth Bale wanted back to Spurs, um, Jonathan Barnett made it very clear Spurs is the club he wants, that's the club he wants to go to, etc. Because that was his way of making sure the deal got done. Mate, when you're a football agent and you represent super clients, right, the one thing you don't do is ruin a relationship with super clubs. All right? And there aren't many of them. And so clearly, you know, Manchester United are in another serial situation with Minariola, as is every football club. Manchester United have exactly the same objective as, as Minariola, to get the best possible deal for Manchester United. That means taking stuff from Minariola, taking stuff from Paul Pogba, that's their goal. Okay, So they're both negotiating and doing the best job they possibly can for their client. Edward Ward and Matt George are doing the best they can for Manchester United and for the Glazers. So... Um, you, you, you know what I mean? You, you can't fault them for doing their job. Uh, all right. Sorry, Benjamin Lind. In your opinion, why does Ollie continue to put up with the Glazers' parsimony? Do you think he feels backed? Or could he just not walk away from it? I'm not saying I could either. Like, okay. So, look. <clears throat> Solskjaer, when it comes to United's parsimony, he's not going to walk out of Manchester United because he didn't get $200 million. Where's he going to go? Right? He loves the football club. Um, he has complete belief in himself. And the thing, the thing that concerns me, mate, we never have expectations that are, you know, that are consistent with the biggest football clubs in the world. But for you to accomplish that, you have to be a genius because you don't get the tools that you get at Real Madrid. You don't get the tools you get at Barcelona. You don't get, you know, I, I would love to have seen you saying someone like a Frankie de Jong or, you know, top class talent in their prime that the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid do that never happens at United, right? So for Solskjaer to be a European Cup winner, and got to outperform Man City and all these other football clubs that spend money, that invest properly, that have had a football setup for years. That's hard to do. He puts up with it because he loves the football club, because um, you know, where else is Solskjaer going to go? It's still a dream job. It's still one of the top jobs in football. And um, whoever's in charge of that football club is going to have to deal with this. Ferguson had to deal with it. Mourinho had to deal with it. Um, Van Hal maybe been one of the only managers that was given serious money in one summer, um, but that's it. So for me, I think um, does he feel backed? I mean, look, when you're missing out on Holland and Bellingham, what would Manchester United be like with those two players in their team? Right, Holland, Bellingham, and Sancho. When the person hired by the football club to make football decisions with the objective of getting you back to where you need to be and you can't execute those decisions, then you don't blame Solskjaer. 
Partners the very first summary again. Um, at the end of the day, he will do the best job for Manchester United, um, given the given the parameters that he has to work with. Why would Ole Gunnar Solskjaer walk away from Manchester United? He's improved the club so far. That's an argument that maybe he might have to enter into in a year or two's time. But right now, well, why would he walk away? Because yeah. you know what football's like. You walk away, someone else can come in and and then they maybe take the plaudits that you would be due. So no, there's no way he's going to walk away and I don't think he should anyway. I think he's he knows the situation he's working in. Who knows? Obviously, I'm not only speculating here. Maybe he's not 100% happy with it, but he'll make the most of what he's got mm-hmm. at his disposal and, and, and just fingers crossed that'll be enough longer term. Folks, we're not on a half into this. I've got a bunch of questions. I'm just not going to get to. I sincerely apologise. We've got to be conscious of this man's time uh, and everyone else's time. What I will promise to do is the questions that I didn't get to, I'll answer in a YouTube video um, on the spillover. So uh, I will get, I will address those because I'm extremely grateful to each and every one of you for, for listening to the podcast. I'll also make sure that in future episodes, your questions get priority. So my apologies to Michael Doyle, Paul O'Flaherty, United Info blog, uh, Dr. Grant Campbell, who's of course one of your colleagues, an absolutely fantastic guy, um, uh, Robert Brown. Uh, so, folks, uh, I will get uh, to those questions on a YouTube video, um, and I will be doing a lot more on YouTube. I'm very excited about some of the stuff we've got coming up. Uh, Callum, mate, don't forget, folks, follow this guy at Football CFB, at Callum CFB. Content is ridiculous, energy is ridiculous. Uh, the amount of podcasts he put out puts me to shame. Uh, Go ahead and follow them, folks. For each and every one of you who downloaded my podcast, our podcast, so grateful. And for each and every one of you, man, I want to close the show on this note. So many people reached out to me last week uh, for the opening monologue of our show, which was extremely emotional. Uh, it was very difficult for me to get through without um, breaking down. Because as you think, all of you know, these topics are real for me. They're very raw, as I know they are for you and for many others. Um... Mental health is this weird thing. Um, I don't know why everyone has it differently. I had an awful day yesterday. I uh, was not doing good yesterday mentally. Very, very dark, very deep. Um, didn't want to go home. Um, was just in a place where I didn't want anyone to talk to me. Um, and uh, it just came out of the blue. So this happens. It's a very real thing, and uh, I my empathy and love uh, to all of you. I try to respond to as many of you as I can, folks. I've got literally 30, 35 more direct messages I haven't got to. I'll try to find a time to get to it. If it's an emergency, please reach out to someone else. I will get to you eventually. Um, nothing but love. I have so many people messaging me in so many difficult situations and so much pain. And, folks... I urge each and every one of you, because I'm the same, don't be the other added negative voice in someone's life. Put the arm around someone, right? Because you just don't know how much that means. I'm going to tell you something. Somebody said something to me yesterday, man. Right? It was a throwaway comment, but it was lovely. And it brought it back, it took me, it brought me into tears. And the individual doesn't know this, right? Um... I burst into tears because it meant so much to me. You just never know how much a comment means to someone. Um, so my love and support to each and every one of you that are struggling. Thanks for the lovely comments. And thank you so much to my superlative colleague here, who is also a mental health warrior, who's been my friend, and who is someone that echoes all the sentiments we put on the show about your struggle, your life, 
your life really, really matters to me. And if you're listening to this, I want to meet you someday. I want to have a beer or coffee or whatever it is. I want to meet you one day. And that's going to happen. One day when this shit is all over, I come over there. Just I usually do when I'm Manchester, UK, Ireland. And maybe we'll put on a, uh, an event where I get to meet a bunch of you. I would love to do that. I'd love to thank each and every one of you for listening. Your life matters to me and I want to hear about your story, about the things that have happened in your life um, because that really matters to me. You're all amazing, folks. Every single one of you is a miracle. You don't have a heard of place. Thank you so much for listening, giving me your time, your ear, your heart, everything. Right? I don't. I am so grateful for every single one of you. Thank you, folks. Callum, much love, brother. Much love, mate. Can't wait till next time. All the best. Cheers, Everyone, folks. Take care. See you, mate. Bye.